are pouring from the buildings now. There's cars toppled, buildings entirely crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I, I really need to leave. So the fences inform me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I, I see some people running now. In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. Shag. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the Whatever Happened to Rob Kelly. How you doing, buddy? That's not a thing. I was trying to make it a thing. If you just went with me, we could make it a thing. No, that's not that's not English. So let's just move on. <laughs> How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I am really excited to talk about one of these one of these stories. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the one that you get to cover. I thought you might be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, uh, so have you been – now, let's just t- pull back for a second here. Have, you, you must be riding high, sir, on this whole Treasury cast that you just launched on the network. Brand new show dedicated to Treasury Edition comics. I listened to the episode as much as I didn't want to enjoy it. I couldn't help it. I really, really did. <laughs> I imagine uh, you listened to it like their arms folded. You're like, harumph. Well, <laughs> I was actually it – was, it was Halloween. I was putting out trick-or-treat bags and, and letting these luminaries down the street. It's like two hours worth of work. So I was listening to that, and uh, it's midnight, the podcasting hour, both the both premiere episodes. And so I had to deal with a double dose of you, uh, which is just what, like torture. You know, it's like my awesome. own version – it's my own version of tricking on Halloween. But um, – but both both shows were really really good. So, Thank folks, you. if you haven't tried um, Treasury Cast, you should definitely check it out. And if you haven't tried, it's midnight the podcasting hour. Even though Rob does appear on the first episode, don't worry, he's not going to be on every episode of that one. Yeah, so, you don't have to worry about me again for like another year and a half or something. Right. <laughs> and I'll make my way in there eventually. Uh, so, but uh, definitely check them out. They're really good. So, Thank how you. was your I was very happy how Treasury Cast came out? Dan was a great guest, and I'm looking forward to doing more. You know, and you guys said it on the show, so I'm almost repeating what you said, but, like, the enthusiasm that you guys brought and energy to that show was really good. Yes. I mean, really, really high energy. So I felt like I had, you know, um, I was trying to think of some 70s candy. I don't know. I felt like I had some Necco wafers and uh, a Shasta drink, and I was going down to the 7-Eleven to buy my comics. You know, that's what I felt like, the 70s all over again. So anyway, how was your Halloween? 
Uh, just fine. We uh, turned all the lights off to make sure that no kids came by, and uh, oh that gosh. worked out perfectly. You're terrible. You're a horrible human being. Yeah. And we hid under blankets, turned the lights off, and uh, all the candy was left over for us. It's great. Wow. That's that's great, uh, Mr. Bitley. Uh, so you're a bitter little man and Mrs. Bitter little person. Uh, we... Uh, we live down a really long street, and it's really like kids do that instant ratio of candy to, to lights to walking, and then not worth it, and normally walk on. So I have to light these luminary bags, which draw the children down and, uh, you know, evilly manipulating the children to come to my house. And then we give out candy and comics, and we gave out uh, 60, 70 comics yesterday. Have about got some of those Halloween special comics you get, you know, from your comic shop. I got uh, number one Spidey, which is probably a reprint of that same comic that was in the Treasury, I would think. Yes, it's it is. One, and got DC Superhero Girls, and uh, they went like hotcakes, man. The kids loved them, so that's, I love getting a comic. I love, them. and we give out candy too because we want to rot their teeth as well, but we want to also expand their minds. So I, I saw on Twitter some guy who did something similar to you actually set up a spinner rack. <gasps> comics in it and there were kids in like costume pulling comics off the rack i was like oh my god this guy <laughs> that's incredible wow oh that's so much fun i did enjoy actually putting like spider-man comic book in the hand of a kid trick-or-treating as spider-man that was kind of an exciting moment for oh me. that's awesome that's that's terrific yep well we should get going here folks this is another one of our whatever happened to episodes where we tap into the backup stories the old eight-page backup stories from dc comics presents from the early 1980s Wonderful, wonderful feature. Rob and I have done a number of episodes of those. You can just go out to our network page. Rob, Rob what's that network page? Fireandwaterpodcast.com. Yep. And look for the Fire and Water Podcast, or technically Aquaman and Firestorm, the Fire and Water Podcast. And just look for whatever happened to, and you'll find lots of those episodes. In fact, we'll, in, the, in the show notes, we'll put links to all the previous ones, so you can go in and check those out. But uh, in a moment, we're going to cover two more of those. Before we do that, we need to thank our sponsors, folks. This episode of the Fire and Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. What you got? Uh, based on the story I'm covering, which is uh, the, whatever happened to the Crimson Avenger, I'm doing the Seven Soldiers of Victory Archive Editions, Volume 1. This reprints uh, leading comics, numbers 1 through 4. It has an introduction by R.C. Harvey. 200 pages of some of the best that the Golden Age had to offer. The writers are Mort Weinzinger, co-creator of Aquaman and Green Arrow, uh, supposedly. Bill Finger, Jerry, <laughs> Jerry Siegel, and others. And the artists are Mort Meskin, George Papp, Craig Flessel, Jack Letty, Hal Sherman, and Ed Dubrotka. Uh, and this collects the adventures of the Seven Soldiers of Victory, which, of course, were Green Arrow, Speedy, Shining Knight, Star Spangled Kid, Stripesy, Crimson Avenger, and the Vigilante. I have not read too many of their adventures, but I love the idea. I just love the idea of, like, the B team. This is, like, the Earth 2 B team. Maybe even the oh, yeah. C, C team, if you really want to be picky. And I just like the idea that they were all... In a group together, I've always thought that Aquaman would have fit in really well here in this team. But yeah. uh, I've only said I've only read a handful of adventures, but I, I just I, I like the idea. So anyway, the normal price is of course forty nine ninety nine because this is one of those beautiful hardcover editions. In stock of trades twenty seven forty seven. That's forty five percent off. So give this a try because it's the Seven Soldiers of Victory. It's it's kind of an off brand sort of thing. And uh, again, Mort Meskin. Every time I've seen his stuff, I love it. Like I really like his artwork. So I, if if he has a lot of stuff in here, I'm, I'm interested because he's a really superb artist. Awesome. Well, I really glad that you tied your comic book recommendation into actually the episodes because normally Rob kind of goes off on a weird tangent has nothing to do with the title. <laughs> so folks, seven. 
<laughs> I'm covering Rip Hunter the uh, Time Master today, or whatever happened to Rip Hunter the Time Master. So, of course, my pick is uh, completely unrelated. I picked a comic by Jeff Parker, who I'm on a huge Jeff Parker kick right now. Jeff Parker writer, Steve Lieber artist, and it is from Image, and it is called Underground. Now, guys, this book, I, I didn't know what to expect. I was in Portland not too long ago. Um, full disclosure, I did not get this from In Stock Trades. I bought this while I was in Portland. However, you can get it on In Stock Trades. We'll get there. Anyway, I was in Portland, and I don't know if you know, but Jeff Parker lives in Portland. And there was a convention that weekend, and I wanted to go to the convention, but we were there vacationing with a family, and I turned to my wife and said, Honey, did you know there's a comic convention here? I didn't even finish the sentence. And she just goes, No. <laughs> She's like, This is a family vacation. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty fair. Now, the Sutherlands were at the convention. It would have been awesome to see them again, but didn't get to. Anyway, Jeff Parker was going to be there, and I was like, oh, I'm not going to see Jeff Parker. But I was in Powell's Books, the world-famous Powell's Bookstore. Rob, this place you would die for. It's like I a heard city about block. It. Yeah. It's a city block. You go in, you're like, where's the science fiction? They're like, you know, the second floor. I'm like, where exactly? No, the second floor. Um, it's just amazing. Anyway, so I go in there, and I'm like, you know what? I'll buy some Jeff uh, Parker comics while I'm in Portland. You know, that that's sort of like a halfway step, right? So I picked out three tr Jeff Parker trade paperbacks, bought them. Um, they happen to be used. No big deal. Bought them, got them home, and I open it up, and I'm holding in my hand my copy of Underground by Jeff Parker and Steve Lieber, and it actually has an original sketch by Steve Lieber in the back. Wow. I guess someone took it to a convention, Steve Lieber did the sketch, and this person eventually turned around and sold it, so I feel pretty special. So, this comic, guys, this is awesome. There's absolutely nothing superhero in this thing. There's absolutely nothing supernatural, nothing unreal at all. It's a story about these two park rangers who are trying to protect a cave where um, there's, there's these people who want to exploit the cave for tourism, but they're, they're more concerned with keep preserving the nature. Well, the whole thing goes to hell when somebody hires somebody to kill the park rangers basically blow up the blow up the cave and so the story is basically the, the park rangers on the run from this crazy guy who wants to kill them in the cave and they're first they're fighting him and eventually they're sort of fighting against the cave to survive it's really compelling it's four issues you get so wrapped into it it feels completely claustrophobic between the writing and the art and the coloring especially the coloring the way they they suck the color out of the story as they go deeper and deeper in the cave and it almost becomes black and white even and it and every time they click back to the surface you just the, the colors are so shocking it's um it's really astounding i mean i i read this thing probably in two sittings and i couldn't put it down in fact i tried it i think i'm going to try and get my wife to read it and she hates comic books so highly recommend it it's called underground Again, by Steve Lieber, uh, as art, written by Jeff Parker. Full color. It's uh, 128 pages. Normally retails for $14.99. You can get it 45% off in in-stock trades right now. So it's $8.24. That's like the cost of two Marvel comics nowadays, guys. So pick this up from in-stock trades, as well as the Seven Soldiers of Victory book Rob just mentioned. You'll be able to find links in the show notes for those particular volumes. And remember, get that on instocktrades.com for all, your, uh, that, all these and your other trade paperback needs. All right. Well, I think it's just time to get into this, isn't it, Rob? Well, first, we do want to mention uh, there is a podcast related to this very series, isn't there? Oh, my goodness, there sure is. Why don't you tell the people at home the name of that show? That is the DC Comics Presents show. It's by our buddy Russell Bagg, and he goes through issue by issue, hitting on all of these DC Comics Presents issues. Lots of fun. I mean, you know, if you've ever read the DC Comics Presents book, it is fantastic. It's Superman teaming up with somebody every single issue, which is a hoot. We're not really going to touch on that in our coverage here, but uh, lots and lots of fun. And, we, um, you know, somebody had to do this because everyone loves this comic. And we thank you, Russell, for being the brave soul enough to go through these issue by issue. And now we're going to tackle DC Comics Presents number 37. And the team up in this issue is Superman and Hawkgirl, but uh, we're not going to, again, not going to touch on that. 
cover price, 50 cents, which, by the way, 50 cents for these eight pages might be worth it. I don't know. Definitely worth it for the next comic. Uh, cover date is September 1981. And the question posed here is, whatever will or did happen to Rip Hunter Time Master? Or, as I like to call it, the adventure from where NBC stole the plot of their new series called Timeless. Uh, written by Mike Tiffenbacher. Uh, we love Mike Tiffenbacher. We do. Uh, he he wrote the the infamous uh, Rex the Wonder Dog and and Detective Chimp, right? He wrote the yeah, he wrote the Johnny Thunder one, which we oh, love. That's right. And he yeah. wrote the, and he wrote the Detective Chimp, which is the greatest comic story I've ever read. So yeah. What what do you remember? What Detective Chimp's line was in that? Uh, it was oh it, 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 wow. Yeah, you should use the clip that you put at the end of the other episodes. That's should. much better. <laughs> We wait till the end of the episode. I'll put it. I'm sure it'll make its way there. So Mike Diffenbacher written, uh, wrote it, art by Alex Seviak, inker Vince Coletta, colorist Jerry Serpy, letter John Costanza, editor uh, Julie Schwartz. Now, as, just to save us some trouble here, in in the story you meet the team, you meet the team, Time Masters, and that gives you Rip Hunter, Time Master, gives you Jeff Smith, his engineer and mechanic, and a, sort of like best friend, Bonnie Baxter, who's their data expert and historian, and Bonnie's brother Corky. Yeah, that's right. Corky, Corky Baxter, he is her brother and Rip's protege. Now, when the story opens, we start off in the New England hills at their secret hideaway. Jeff Smith, the mechanic, is snoozing in the lab when suddenly he's attacked by an old college rival, a guy by the name of John Charles James. James then proceeds to steal the Time Master's backup time machine called the Time Sphere. And James uses this spare Time Sphere to hurl back in time. Rip gathers the team of Jeff, Bonnie, and Corky. They power up their primary Time Sphere and follow the trail of the stolen Time Sphere. And in route, uh, Rip recounts the tale of him and Jeff's uh, college years. So we get a flashback. And we get the flashback of how Jeff and Rip knew this guy, uh, John Charles James, who was their rival. They're, they were, were scientific rivals, basically. There's a real Reed Richards, Victor Von Doom college vibe kind of going on here. So Rip and Jeff were working on a project, and James was working on his own project. So Rip and Jeff were having a hard time powering their prototype time sphere. They were working on it all the way back in college. They couldn't um, make it work safely until, luckily, they stumbled across the exact power element they needed. Rip and Jeff completed uh, the project. They competed against James for a major scientific endowment, and Rip and Jeff won, and uh, James held a real big grudge for that. Now, we're back to, I guess, the present, or I guess we should say the present within the time sphere, because they're traveling through time. Um, we finished the flashback, and now our heroes arrive in the year 4784 AD. So this is way, way, way in the future, uh, in, which we, in, in an area which we would know as Maryland. And it's, here it's populated by these tall humanoid figures, and they might be evolved humans, we're not really sure. Anyway, they attack our heroes, believing Rip and his crew to be another group of thieves. Apparently, James already came and went with the backup time sphere and robbed these future people of their powerful uh, item called a Nexus Gem. Now, once the mistaken identity is all cleared up, Rip and his team help replace the Nexus Gem for the future people. Next up, they uh, they hop back in the time machine and they track James back to the back in his time sphere to uh, 3,709 B.C. I think that's when Rob graduated high school. Uh, and they're in southern New Mexico. Get another case of mistaken identity. The backup time sphere zooms by and lands long enough to kidnap one of our heroes, Jeff Smith. Jeff is taken at gunpoint because James needs him for Jeff's engineering and mechanical assistance with the time sphere. Oh, noes! So now uh, the next trip is we're going to go back in time, or I'm sorry, we're going to go forward in time. They track James's time sphere, and because um, not only do they need to stop James, they have to rescue their friend. So our heroes track them to the 
Basically, I don't know the year, but it's when Rip and Jay, uh, Jeff were in college. Remember we did the flashback with them in the college? We go to that time period. And James has come back in time to destroy Rip's prototype time sphere. And his goal is to change the past and prevent Rip and Jeff from winning that scientific endowment. Oh, those scientists bearing grudges, I tell you, they're the worst. Anyway, they catch up with the evil James. There's a punchy, punchy punch ensues, and James nearly gets away to go back in time again, but Rip rams his own time sphere into the backup time sphere. It's a pretty dramatic air collision, and Rip successfully damages the backup time sphere. James is taken into custody, and everyone returns to our time. Now, after returning home, the team realizes that the future people, they never got their Nexus gem back. And so, um, also, coincidentally, the backup time sphere that James stole, its power crystal is missing. Uh-oh. Remember during the College Days flashback, we said that Rip and Jam, uh, Jeff stumbled across the exact power element they needed to power their time sphere? Well, it looks like Rip and Jeff's uh, accidentally left behind a power element just now. So, uh, I should say future Rip left behind the power element for young Rip to find in the past. So, the only reason Rip in the past found the power element is because Rip in the future left it there. So, paradox alert, paradox alert, I'm, I am my own grandpa. And uh, that's how the story ends with a freeze frame of everyone going, ha, 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 ha. So, what do you think? <sighs> okay, uh, I've read a lot of comic books in my life, probably too many. Uh, I, I like to think I have a fairly good grasp of the form, of, of how these things work, of, of how to fill in the gaps between the story, the, between the panels, you know, the way Scott McCloud kind of talks about it in his books. Mm -hmm. I read this story all the way through twice, and I was like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> really? <laughs> yes, I, I'm, I mean... I'm glad I have your description of it to to follow a little because there was points where I was just like, I don't know what is going on. Now, maybe it's because I'm just not that familiar with Rip Hunter. I mean, I know he's a time traveler and him and his gang have their little Christmas jammies that they wear or whatever. But I just <laughs> – I don't know. I just had – I just kept like, wait, what? Who is – wait, there's these aliens and they have these giant heads. Wait, they're, they're angry at them. Wait, no, now they're friends. Wait, where's the crystal? It, it just – I, I kind of got very frustrated. Okay. There is an easy solution to this. Yes. Just start watching Doctor Who. Okay. Because right. this was Crystal. This made Crystal. Well, obviously. I mean, even Karen Gillian couldn't keep you watching that, apparently. Um, this was Crystal Clear, logical to me. I'm not saying it was in great, but it clearly made sense. There was nothing confusing about, you know, they go to this time period, case of mistaken identity. They go to this time period, case of mistaken identity. It, um, and when I said earlier, it's the plot of the TV show Timeless, I, I'm not really kidding that much. Oh, right. Um, Even their time machine looks like Rip Hunter's time right. machine. <laughs> their time machine looks the same, and what happens in that show is a bad guy steals the time machine, so the good guys have to go back in time with the prototype time machine and chase this bad guy every right. episode from time period to time period to time period. And, um, you know, it, it's there's a lot of shocking similarities to this story, uh, and now I enjoy the show Timeless. It's 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 fun. It's enjoyable. But anyway, um, lots of different things to pick up in here. Uh, yeah, it's not the greatest story in the world, but it, honestly, it feels like an old Silver Age story to me. That it does. I will agree with that. If, now I haven't read I haven't read any old Rip Hunter stories other than unless it was reprinted in something and I just you know breeze through it and I don't remember it, but. It feels very Silver Agey where they jump from time period to time period to time period where there's a case of mistaken identity. And like you said, you know, suddenly you know, they're enemies. Now they're friends with these people. I mean, that's very much so. Like there's a whole scene where, you know, the, the, the future people who are, I guess, evolved humans, I don't know, capture them and they're mean to them. And then suddenly they're friends and they need help. And so Rip and his gang actually go into the ocean to retrieve crystals for these future people. And it's actually I, I kind of dug that part because they go into this blood red sea 
where the ocean is looks like blood now, and they go and get this crystal, and it's like, what happened to the ocean? What turned Earth's oceans like this? And they actually wonder that, and they go, well, I guess we don't know. I'm like, that's kind of a cool scientific, you know, uh, sci-fi hook just left out there dangling. That's kind of neat. And I, I like there's little Easter eggs in here. Like they talk about James, the bad guy. He, he apparently a year ago he got in trouble, and he was a scapegoat for a Ferris aircraft engine recall. That's all they mention of it. That's it. So I just love that they dropped a little Green Lantern Easter egg. Yeah, in there. That, that was fun. And their college activity, I said in the recap, but it really does feel very Victor Von Doom and Reed yes, Richards. It does. You know, yeah. it really does. And, and that was a little too much because this clearly was written, you know, in 1981, long after that. So, um, what else? I loved the time sphere collision in the air. I thought that was pretty cool. You don't see people ramming time time uh, travel ships very often, so that was neat. And uh, the paradox was a bit much. Uh, the paradox, that was actually the only thing I groaned at in the whole story was that. I'm like, oh, really? And uh, most interesting fact about this, they reveal in the story Rip's real name is Ripley Hunter. Whereas later on, uh, it's claimed his name is Richard Hunter. So a little conflict, a little continuity problem there. But overall... It's fun. It has a very Silver Agey feel. You do get a quick sense for the characters. I think it accomplishes its job. Uh, it, you know, it's whatever happened to. And clearly, what's happened here is the team has been apart for a while because they talk about how they've been away at school and how they've been brought, to, brought back together. So it does feel like a bit of a reunion. Uh, it's almost a little bit more of an or now. Now I'm saying this out loud, though. It's almost a little more of an origin than a whatever happened to. I suppose because we touch on how they got the time. Yeah, street. yeah, yeah. Hmm. Well, I think it was fun. Not the greatest whatever happened to, but it was perfectly fine. Yeah, I wish um, I, I. We have already talked about this in this segment. I like Alex Saviak mm-hmm. got a lot, got a lot of these, and unfortunately, he got paired with Vince Coletta a lot. And uh, you know, Frank always takes me to task for defending Alex Saviak. I think Alex Saviak is a terrific penciler, but he frequently got saddled with bad or indifferent inkers, and this is that what happens here. Because I think the layouts are great. The storytelling is crystal clear. There's a lot of characters running around. I mean, this is eight pages, and there's four main characters plus a villain plus aliens. And and yet it never seems crowded. And I just wish it looked a little better, because it, but it doesn't because it's inked by Vince Coletta, who, you know, was like, oh, I can bang this out during lunch. You know, so I, I, I maybe I would have liked it a little more if it had been had a little more visual snap to it. Yeah, I would agree. The, the art is is absolutely serviceable. Yeah. Is the best compliment I can give it. Yeah, yeah. you know it's absolutely serviceable. Now, I, you know, until you said it, I didn't think about it because the layouts are pretty kind of generic, really. But you're right; the storytelling really is quite effective. I mean, there's never any question of what's going on in a panel, and a lot of times you don't need the dialogue to figure out what's happening. You know, a kid could read this without knowing how to read, and they could still figure out what's happening. Mm-hmm. Lots of action, lots of change of scenes. In yep. ver- I mean, you know, like page four, four page, different time periods. Yeah, page three, you've got the he discovers the power element. Then we cut to the the the, the, the reward thing, and then we're, now we're back, and then we have the aliens. Like, it, there's a lot of settings in a very small story, and that's you know not not everybody's good at that. But Sal- Saviak uh, was and is. I love on page three. I didn't notice this till now in the top middle panel where the audience is clapping at He's the endowment. He's all thing on the table. I like. Well, that. James is harumphing. Within the audience, there's actually a little sound clap, effect for clap, them saying clap because otherwise it looks like they're praying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it almost looks like it was written in later. The clap, clap. It just kind of scribbled in, you know. Not clearly not by the letterer. So anyway. I think we've said enough. Okay. Why don't we move on? The next one's pretty exciting, so why don't we move on to that one? All right, we'll move on to the next one, which is... Oh, by the way, I should mention, I bought this comic, number 37, off the newsstands off of 7-Eleven because it was Superman and Hawkgirl, and it was so cool that Hawkgirl got to team up with Superman by herself without Hawkman. I always 
yeah. I always like Hawkman and Hawk Girl. I always like Hawk Girl a little more than Hawkman. So when she got a solo adventure, it was super exciting. And that's a great story. So it's, well, it's a good of comic. Of course, overall. you She's a hot redhead. I mean, yeah, come on. It's great. It's a great I, comic. I like that you bought that one off the spinner rack, and then last time we did one of these, it was the Captain. Uh, I'm sorry, Superman, Captain Marvel team up, mm-hmm. and that was one of the ones I bought off the spinner rack when I was a little kid too. Long even before I was buying collecting as a, com- a collect- comic collector, I bought that one. So. Cool. Yep. All right, so we're going to move on to DC Comics number 38, the very next issue. The uh, front team up is Superman and Flash, and I will tell a story about that one. Uh, I marched into the 7-Eleven that I used to buy my comics at, which is still there. That 7-Eleven is still there. I still shop there occasionally. And I walked in with my 40 cents that I got, mm-hmm. that I got from my dad. <laughs> so you see where this is going. I, walked I do in, see where this is going. I walked in with my 40 cents from my dad. All I had was 40 cents. See, I wasn't Richie Rich. So everybody leave me alone. So I walked in. I grabbed the comic because it was Superman and Flash and cool. And it had a pinup in the middle by George Perez and the covers by George yeah, Perez. I put it up to the counter and the guy goes, they're 50 cents now. What? They're 50 cents now. And the comic, of course, DC Comics had gone up 10 cents, and I didn't notice. And I well, was, did, you bring, did you bring sales tax? No, they didn't charge sales tax. What? They didn't. Comics were not charged sales They didn't charge sales tax. Oh, that's insane. Why. Okay. I, I did some weird rule for, like, periodicals or something. But anyway, I was 10 cents short, and I walked out dejectedly to the car, and I just <laughs> did – you could hear the – yeah, the Peanuts music, you know, <laughs> playing in the background. And I, I, yeah, exactly. I walk back to the car and I tell my dad, and my dad very generously gave me the extra dime. Aww. I walked back into the car. I walked back into the to the uh, the uh, the Seven Eleven and bought the comic. And uh, you know, it was that moment of disappointment that I feel like I became a man. You know, I learned <laughs> what life was all about. Was just... <laughs> That's better than what I was gonna say. I was gonna say I bet you walked back in there feeling like a king because you now had the fifty cent. <laughs> But I like your version better. It was very exciting. So anyway, that's a good comic. The the, the front team up by Superman Flash and the pin up by Perez is really good. So, but anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. Well, hold on. You know, one thing we didn't mention yeah. was um, the, the, we're covering issues. What do we say? 37, uh, 37 38. 36. Technically, we, we've kind of missed one because um, 36 was Superman and Starman, the um, – Right. Prince Gavin, Starman. Right. The name of the comic is Whatever Happened to Starman, but it's really more of a traditional Superman yeah. Starman team yeah. up. But it is called Whatever Happened to. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. But yeah, I, I sort of look at it as that that was not that's not what it is. But yeah, maybe it didn't serve the purpose of what these did. Yeah. All right. So anyway, so the backup feature. This is Whatever Happened to the Crimson Avenger. Uh, it's by Len Wein, Alex Saviak. And Dennis Jensen, not Vince Coletta, thank goodness. Worth noting. Uh, worth noting. John Costanza, letterer, Gene D'Angelo, colorist, Julie Schwartz, editor. In a big city hospital, we overhear two nurses discuss a patient. It seems that while this patient has the financial means to pursue all manner of potential cures, the disease he has is so new and terminal that there's nothing anyone can do. Lee Travis, a.k.a. the Crimson Avenger, has less than a week to live. Lee Travis seems not so much upset that he's dying, but that a man so used to a life of adventure is going to go out with a whimper. A flashback shows us how the 1940s Crimson Avenger ended up in modern times and how out of place he now feels. Unlike a certain red, white, and blue hero across the street at Marvel, the Crimson Avenger decided to hang up his cowl, letting other heroes take over. Despite that, Travis also bemoans that few will remember his costumed alter ego. Suddenly, Travis sees a tanker float by, blinking its lights in an SOS pattern. He takes off, leaving his nurse to wonder where he went. On the way to the ship, a small boy accidentally falls out of an open window in a nearby tenement to the horror of his mother. Luckily, the Avenger is at the right place at the right time, and he catches the boy, returning him to the mother. 
She demands to know his name, promising to pray for him that night. Inside the tanker, we learn a bunch of armed terrorists have taken over the ship, planning to sell its cargo of experimental chemicals to the highest bidder. Suddenly, the lights go out, and the Crimson Avenger makes quick work of the gang at disarming them. After the Crimson Avenger frees him, the captain reveals that a raging fire will cause the chemicals to explode. Realizing the only way to stop the explosion of going off near the city, the Avenger puts the ship's crew onto a lifeboat and pilots it out to sea. The captain protests this stranger's suicide mission, but the Avenger says, I have a lot less to lose than you. The Avenger pilots the ship out to sea, realizing he feels truly alive for the first time in years. The boat explodes, blowing it to bits, causing nearby nearby windows to rattle, but not a single one breaks. Soon after, local police meet the ship's crew and want to know who it was that saved the city. The captain says he never got the man's name. It seems that the legend of the Crimson Avenger dies with him. Or does it? Back at the apartment we saw earlier, the mother explains to her young son that one day she will tell him about the brave soul who saved his life, so he can tell his children and they can tell their children. She promises her family will never forget El Vengador Rojo, the Crimson Avenger. And that's the end of the story. Woohoo! Uh, good, good stuff. Yeah, I, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, David Gutierrez. That's what I call him. What's his name? He always makes fun of me for being like emotionless. He likes to call me Robbot. Uh, <laughs> is that pillow talk or? <laughs> no comment. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, but <laughs> I, I get like just even like a little bit verklempt reading this story i think it is one of i know i've been saying this for like every whatever happened that we've been doing but right. this is really one of the great short comic book stories i think it's utterly brilliant i think it's touching um every i think that it's perfect i think it's literally perfect i would not change one iota of it it seems like a great way to give a hero who Nobody really was using his last appearance in a DC comic was ten years earlier. Okay. Uh, by Len Wein himself, um, nobody was using this character, and it's a great way to send him off. And I think that final panel, the whole idea that he thinks he's going to die forgotten, but then you realize he isn't, and that the, the, the you know he will live on through the the family, is such a touching way to end it. I think it's utterly brilliant. I love this story from first panel to last. Wow. Um, I, I also enjoy it, but I just don't think I'm going to be quite as flattering as, as you are. Um, maybe it's because I didn't read it as a child. I do see a lot of things to, to sort of comment on, but as far as just, if we want to talk big picture, it's a, you're a, it's a wonderful story. I, I love the irony of he thinks he's not going to die unknown. He thinks everyone's going to know he saved the ship. Oh, that's true. You're right. You're right. Yeah. He thinks everyone's going to know he saved the ship. He that's forgets why he that get... he doesn't tell the captain what his name right. is. Yeah. So on that last page in the top right-hand panel, he's got this great sp- uh, grin on his face. But there's 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 a weird emotion to it, too. It's like a happy, unhappy. I don't know quite how to describe it. But it's 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 a real expression. Don't get me wrong. But it's it's this perfect sort of like, I don't know, bittersweet happiness. He knows that it's it's all it's the end, but he's happy about the way the moment has come. He's smiling through the tears. Maybe that's the way to say it. And uh, it's it, it depicts it perfectly because he thinks you know the name's going to live on. And what he doesn't know is it's the saving the little boy off the of the tenement is actually what's going to help his name go on. Um, well, I, do you want me to just start talking? Do you have more to to, to well, I, praise no, it? I, mean, I, I just I, I first of all I said I think that we I think the story got lucky and that it's Alex Saviak not being inked like Vince Coletta. I, I really think the story would have suffered if it. I'm sorry if Vince Coletta had done it, but they got Dennis Jensen. 
who gives it a really nice quality. I again think the action is great. I love the full page. I, lo- I that great action shot of the Crimson Avenger, and mm-hmm. we have all the flashbacks. We see how he yeah. became a man out of time from Justice League number one hundred. The whole Captain America bit. If I could change anything about that page, I would show his original costume. Oh right, right. Yeah, we see. Yeah, we just see him in his. His, superhero costume, yeah, superhero which I, I've never really been a fan of. I love him in his original costume. So, but his uh, Greg Brooks drew an amazing look in his uh, in his original costume in that miniseries. Um, no jokes there about him slaughtering nope, people. Nope, but anyway, now another thing too. I lo- I do love on that page how when he was talking about he's a man out of time. You know, the two things that make him so confused about this new world are Cars a Volkswagen Bug and halter tops and halter tops. <laughs> Exactly right. A hot chick and a halter top, and he's just like, "Oh, what do I? The seventies or eighties are killing me." Like maybe, maybe it's not so much a car as it is that it's the it's a beetle because the, oh, the, the German beetle, car beetle was a Nazi car, and he's probably like, "What's the? Why is there a Nazi car on the street?" So. Could be, but he's just equally befuddled by the hot girl in the in the red and white striped top, yeah. <laughs> which cracked me up. Um. So all right. I, starting from the beginning, I love that – this bit I do love, that he's dying from some disease, that they don't tell us what it is. They don't waste any time on it. He doesn't seem to be handicapped in any way, shape, or form. This disease is just simply like apparently in a week someone's going to flip a switch and he's not alive anymore. Mm. And I don't care. I don't care that that's a flaw in the story. I think it's great because they don't need to waste time on it. They have eight pages to tell a story. Yep. They said he's going to die. No way around it. And you're like, okay, I just accept that and move on. I like that aspect of it. I do think it's weird that he hung up the Crimson Avenger togs years ago. They make that clear. And yet in the hospital, he's got the costume Still at the ready. Them, yeah. <laughs> so what? what? <laughs> How's that work? Um I like that when he goes to save the little kid who falls off the windowsill. You know, I, I love that fl- flagpole bouncing thing. Mm-hmm. I, now, I don't live in a big city like you do, Rob, you know, in, in big New York City and fi- in Philadelphia. But I, I have to assume there's flagpoles everywhere. Just I know. If, if you go by – right. If you go by storytellers, there's flagpoles. There's like 50 flagpoles sticking out of every building, which there really right. aren't anymore. Well, in my mind, there must be. Now, here's the one thing about this, though. Honestly, this kid is dumb. Dumb as a box of rocks. The kid climbs on a windowsill to pet a cat, and he's, what, 10 stories up or something, and falls. Honestly, the kid's so dumb, he should have died and been taken out of the gene pool. I'm sorry. So Crimson Adventure saving him actually made our society that much dumber. So, And unfortunately, he's the only one who's going to remember Crimson Avenger too. Oh, maybe I'm being a bit harsh. I don't know. I am so upset with you right now, I can't believe it. I'm just really? like, I love this story so much and you're just pooping all over it. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I I love it too. I really did enjoy it. I genuinely mean that. But I'm just having some I'm just pointing out some issues here. Um, now, to be fair, that I tell you there is a missed opportunity here. Jeff Johns, years from now, would introduce a new Crimson Avenger into the Justice Society of America book. And it, while she was an interesting character, I think it would have been even more interesting to have made it this little boy. That would have been cool to have this little boy become the new Crimson Avenger. Instead, he introduces an entirely new character. I wish he had done it. I don't know if it's because of creator rights. He didn't want to hand the creator rights over to somebody else uh, or what. But uh, I, I thought that was a missed opportunity. Now, did Crimson Avenger used to fight with smoke bombs like the Crimson Mist? I don't remember. I really have only read a couple of his stories. And I really am familiar with him from the Justice League when he got pulled mm. out of him and the rest of the Seven Children of Victory got, got pulled out of time. Yeah. In JLA 100 through 102, which they recap here, which is, yeah. again, written by Lynn Wein. So, yeah, I really don't know. I mean, the, the probably the most, the longest story of his I read was The Secret Origin from yeah. Secret Origins number five. 
Right. Well, I thought it was cool. I, whether it was original thing or not, I mean, we read Who's Who together. We, you know, we should remember, but I don't. I think it's cool the way he used it, though. Using the crimson smoke, it fits his, it fits his motif. You know, I thought that worked really well. And um, now let's talk about the art. Holy McGrolly. Uh, I don't know whether it's Dennis Jensen is that amazing as an inker or just Alex Seviat's pencils come through. But you're right. This story benefits tremendously yep. from Vince Coletta not being here. Um, like, like a couple different things. Like on page seven, you know, when Crimson Avenger is roping up the bad guys, his face is in shadow mm-hmm. completely. And there's smoke everywhere. Now, in the previous issue, the backgrounds were drawn, but very simply. Here, the backgrounds are full of detail. Exploding yep. windows, smoke everywhere, fire everywhere, uh, waves. I mean, lots and lots of detail. So I got to assume that Dennis Jensen didn't just add all that. You know, he's inking. So I would assume he was following the original pencils. Now, for a perfect example of an amazing page, look at page five. Bottom left-hand corner of page five. There's no, it's all in darkness, so it's all one color. And in this panel, you can really see the art because it's all basically black and white is what you're dealing with, or black and blue in this case. And you can see the detail on the blindfold, on the beard, in the hair, the beret, the bangs. You know, these guys, are, their clothes, the way they fold, like, wow! I mean, that is some really impressive artistry. So, I mean, just, it, it, it reaffirms my belief that I, I really like Alex Seviak's work. Yeah, I, I said Coletta was famous for for I I, yeah, I don't want to keep picking on him. I mean, I to be fair to Vince Coletta, he kind of became a victim of his own success and that he got he was so fast that he started getting shorter and shorter deadlines. So it's like that's what he got apparently mm-hmm. from DC Marvel, which was like, oh, he's the guy who does it fast. So here you go, Vince, ink a book in a weekend. Mm-hmm. And what are you going to do? So, but but he was famous for erasing backgrounds that he right. didn't want to ink. And you can see, yeah, you would not know that this is the same pencil over these two stories. You would yeah, you not would never, you'd never guess that. So, it, uh, this, this one really shines. I mean, I, like you said, this, the story is very touching. It's just, you know, especially folks like us that are getting older. I mean, you're much older, but uh, getting older, you start to feel the weight of time coming down, and, and what you know, what's your legacy going to be? And that's what's focusing on him, even though he's going to, you know, it's hit for him. It's more immediate because he's going to die in a week. And so that's sort of a touching story. And with amazing art, wow, this is a real winner. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I can only go by my reaction when I read it. And when I read it again, I had that same feeling in me as I read it. And I started feeling it as even I was recalling the, the, the recap, as I was I, reading the recap out loud. I was like, I just, that, I think that ending is so perfect. And I do want to mention one little bit is that uh, I did a little research uh, as to this story about Len Wein writing it, and he wrote about it on his blog. Mm. About, and apparently it was originally pitched to him by Julia Schwartz, who it involved terrorists taking over the Lincoln Tunnel. Mm-hmm. And there, like that's the whole fog thing, crimson fog happens in the Lincoln Tunnel, and they're going to blow it up. It's basically kind of a similar story. Mm-hmm. But apparently he gave it to Len like, on a Friday, and on Sunday Len was like, this doesn't make sense. Like there was plot stuff that didn't make any sense. So Lynn rewrote it and he comes back into the office on Monday and Julie's reading it. And he's like, why is this all different? And Len was terrified because he realized I just rewrote Julia Schwartz. <laughs> and, but then he just says, he just decided to be honest. And he said, Julie, it didn't make any sense. The plot didn't make any sense. So that's why I rewrote it. And he said, there was this pause and Julie Schwartz said, you're one of the first writers ever to do that, and that's good. If the story's not good, it's not good. Don't worry about that I wrote it. So he was actually happy that Len wow. rewrote it. Yeah. 
And so I think it's it's what came out. He didn't get into the details details of necessarily why they wanted to kill the Crimson Avenger, other than the fact they felt he was just superfluous, that he mm-hmm. just didn't have sure. anything really to do uh, in the DCU. So well, the nice thing though was a, a, a lot of this was, and we've talked about it before. A lot of this was trademark keeping. You know, ten years since the character appeared, put him out there. Make sure you use the trademark. That way, you know, if Roy wants to use him in All-Star Squadron, no problem. Right. If they want to introduce the new Crimson Avenger because they talk about legacy here and being remembered. I mean, they gave him a lot of opportunities and, you know, re-up the trademark on the name. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's it's just it's just wonderful. I, it's one of – and this was reprinted in a DC Digest as their best of DC that year. So mm. I think everybody knew that it was a winner from the beginning. I, and I'm really impressed just as uh, you know, from a 10,000-foot level of, like, <laughs> these, these these whatever happened tos They're yeah. really, really good. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we kind of do it to kind of – I don't know. We're not doing it to goof on them. We do it because we like them. But there is a little humor to be found in these old comics. But I would say disproportionately, this series is – Really good. There's a lot well, of really good material here. Well, and, and I like the eight-page format style because I, w- I was listening to an episode of Word Balloon with John Suntress. Um, this is several years ago. And it was an interview with uh, Marty Pascal, who, you know, as you know, is a great, great Bronze Age writer. And he was talking about eight-page stories. And he was saying, you know, they would throw eight-page stories to new guys and stuff like that. Not because it was, you know, easy or whatever. Part of it was to test them because right, telling – right. Exactly. Telling an effective story in eight pages is damn hard. Apparently, it's easier to write a 22-page comic than an eight-page comic a lot of times because, you know, there's the economy of space. You've got to tell a beginning, a middle, and an end. You've got to care about the characters, and you've only got eight pages to do it. Whereas 22 pages or 24 pages, 26 pages, whatever it used to be, you know, you could expand a scene out. You could really give a chance for a character to have a lot of dialogue and, and understand why you care about them. Here, you've got, you got to get in and out, and it's a, it's a lost art. Uh, you don't see much of it anymore in in modern comics for sure, and um, I love I love the format. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, and th- I, this this would make ahead. a great trade. It would be fun. You know, I've got the DC Comics Presents trade. I, I've never cracked it open to see if the whatever happened tos are in there. I should. I don't think they are. I could completely wrong, but I thought we looked at it once and we found out that they weren't. But anyway, we've been, by, by we've themselves, we've been doing this so many years. Who knows? I know. yeah, it's true. <laughs> and we're we're now. now in the final third too. Oh no! Are we really? Yeah, we only have. I think we have five more, and then we're done. Oh, can we make up some more? <laughs> Maybe we'll cover the Starman one just to keep. Can Can you find us some eight page stories in like the Digest or something we could cover? Yeah, you know, there's no Digest. There's no Digest cast. Can we start doing that instead? Maybe. Sure. The okay. Extra short shows. <laughs> well, they'll be, they'll be small but long. Is, I think it's the way it works. Anyway, um, you know, and a couple other things about this issue that which make this a real standout issue is you, as Rob mentioned earlier, you get that two-page spread. It is a, a pinup. Basically, what they're saying is because of the price increase, they want to give the people at home something special. So they gave a two-page spread by George Perez, and it features Superman as well as all of the people that had co-starred in the first 36 issues of DC Comics Presents. Not all. Oh, that's right. Who, I, we talked about this. Who's missing? Uh, a certain Aquaman? Sea King. <laughs> Thanks, George. <laughs> take it. Take it, guy who talks to fish. No response. Um, I mean, Firestorm's there, though. Look at that. Huh. Uh-huh. Oh, almost right in the center. That's pretty nice. It's a good drawing. I mean, it's George Preds, of course, and it's it's well staged, but I, I never quite forgave George for not putting in Aquaman. That's if a man bat made it. You know, even Captain Thunder the Bunny. Yeah, uh, whatever his name was. Yeah. Marvel Bunny made it in there. He didn't even have a full issue to himself. Yep. Yeah, Metal yeah. Man. That's so funny. Damn All right. George. Well, you know what else is the, the icing on the cake with this issue, Rob? You're going to love this. Did you read the letters page? Uh, I don't have 
that part of it in front of me, so I'm, I know that I did, but what what are you referring to? Um, let's see. Here, here's I'll, I'll read the letter real quick. The thing that – they're talking about the Captain Marvel issues. The thing that really made this story work for me were Superman and Captain Marvel didn't fight each other. Usually two heroes slug it out and then try to resolve the situation. But here, two of your oldest and most sincere characters meet and try peaceably to write the Switch costume predicament. And another reason is continued story. I love them. So it's a reasonable letter, right? Very logical comment. You think you could agree with that, Rob? I, I'm, I, I know I'm being set up here. Of course you are. Yeah, go ahead. I think you would agree with those comments. And you know what? I think that's the first time in history you have ever agreed with Todd McFarlane. Oh, it's that, is that, oh that is that Todd McFarlane, isn't it? Yeah, because oh, it's wow. Todd McFarlane. It even says Calgary, Alberta. I mean, that, that's Todd. So I thought that was hysterical. So that's all, you're, that's all I'm getting out of you? I, well, I don't think I necessarily disagree with Todd McFarlane. I just hate his artwork. <laughs> I mean, maybe if we discuss topics, politics, or different things, maybe we'd agree. I have no idea, but I just don't want to look at him join capes. That's all. Do you like hockey? <laughs> he <Yeah>. does. <laughs> we didn't love baseball. We know he likes that. That's right. All right, folks. I think that's going to do it for this episode of the Whatever Happened To segment of the DC Comics Presents Comics. Lots of fun. We will put some of the pages from this. Uh, we're not going to put all of them because we don't want to, you know, go out and find the comics, folks. Uh, so we're going to put some of the panels and pages from these issues out on our website. Rob, what's that website? Fireandwaterpodcast.com. Yep. Just go up to the shows but, uh, tab and look for Aquaman and Firestorm, uh, Fire and Water Podcast, and there you will see the images on a gallery post. So uh, if you want to find me, you can find me on Facebook and Twitter as Firestorm Fan. If you want to find the show, we're also on Facebook and Twitter as Fire and Water Podcast. Uh, on Twitter, it's FW Podcasts. And then you can find Rob on every single Twitter handle out there. Pretty much, if you can, you think of. I mean, I think even Rob owns the WhiteHouse.gov uh, Twitter handle, if I remember right. I'm not sure. I've, uh, I've been tweeting as Real Donald Trump. Uh, I know it's okay. got a lot of followers. I'm very Great. excited about it. Uh, congratulations! Exactly. <laughs> Considering this episode, when this episode comes out, the next couple of days of Donald's life should be very interesting, one way or another. So, <laughs> anyway, folks, um, you can also find Rob, of course, on Facebook and Twitter under Aquaman Shrine. You can find him. All, all kidding aside, over on Twitter as Treasury Cast, Film and Water Pod, Pod Dylan, uh, Fire and Water Podcasts. Uh, am I forgetting Aquaman Shrine? I think that's it. That's all the ones you can remember the passwords oh, to. Like, yeah, that's exactly true. <laughs> I have a bunch of accounts. I don't know what the passwords are. I keep tagging your RK illustration one. I know, nobody, no, but I don't can't use that. Yeah, no, I never <laughs> use it. I literally don't know the password to that account anymore. I'm taunting you. Anyway, um, anyway folks, uh, I think that's going to do it. And uh, thanks for listening. And until next time, fan the flame. And ride the wave. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. So come down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. They stand for truth and justice and see a land in there. Aquaman and Firestorm, they make a super pair. Aquaman and Firestorm, super friends forever, yeah! Excuse me, sir, I'm looking for a pig. Gladys, it's for you!
Chick, chick, why? What, what brick? 